Hello and welcome to another edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. I'm Chris Sork, alongside D. Louie here, as we look back at K-State's 64-52 win over the TCU Horned Frogs on Monday night. Uh, K-State goes on a 15-0 run over the closing minutes of the first half and into the second half to uh, really salt this one away early and make it a, um, a pretty low-stress Went on the road for K-State, which uh, has improves their record on the road to uh, to seven and two in the Big Twelve. Uh, only two losses on the road uh, to KU and uh, Texas Tech. Capping off a great season on the road for the Cats, and they look to put a bow on the regular season uh, with a win at home against the Oklahoma Sooners on Senior Day. So uh, we'll get you uh, prepared for that. Uh, we'll also take some time to highlight uh, the three-man senior class of Dean Wade, Barry Brown, and Kamal Stokes and answer your questions and ask the icon. But without any further ado, I'm going to bring my right-hand man, D. Louie, in here. Sitting to my right, he's never looked better. He's beaming with confidence and pride after K-State's big uh, Monday night win, and also with KU going down last night to the hands of OU, the streak is dead. And uh, I know that you are are pretty excited about that, aren't you? I've been absolutely elated all day long. Been walking a little taller, uh, giving people hard time around the water cooler today, not letting anybody off the hook. Yeah, KU Kevin can't escape you today. No, I uh, I got in his face and said, "Hey." You guys are not going to win the conference this year. And he hey, said, I know. What's up, third place? Yeah, he said, I know. And, uh, but, yeah, so this conference race comes down to Kansas State and or Texas Tech, uh, depending on how things go on Saturday. Yeah, and it's interesting. So Texas Tech will go on the road uh, to Ames, Iowa, uh, to take on the Cyclones. And Iowa State is a loser tonight. Uh, we're recording this podcast uh, Wednesday evening. And uh, Iowa State is going to drop one on the road to West Virginia. Definitely a surprise there. Uh, Iowa State without Muriel Shayok tonight, though. And uh, his status for Saturday's game is also uh, up in the air at this point. So that's something to definitely monitor going forward. But K-State and Texas Tech currently tied right now um, at 13. And, or wait a minute, excuse me. Um... Yeah, 13-4, and four, both in the Big 12. And at this point, each team's business is right in front of them. Texas Tech uh, goes on the road for, to Iowa State. A tough place to play, for sure, but Iowa State has really been kind of leaking oil here down, uh, down the stretch. And K-State welcomes an, an Oklahoma team who looked pretty darn good uh, last night against KU uh, into Bramwich. So... We'll uh, kind of get that covered and, and, and look at uh, that Oklahoma game here shortly. Uh, but let's go look back first to the TCU game here, uh, Drew. And it was a game that K-State really, uh, like I said, in that final stretch of the first half and into the second half, really uh, dominated and, take it, and took control of that game. But early on it was a little nip and tuck, a little back and forth. Um, kind of what, what did you see? Uh, throughout the first half and and at, before K-State really pulled away that that maybe led you to believe that this was going to be uh, maybe a bit of a tough game for K-State? Uh, or did you feel comfortable throughout on this one? You know, I felt pretty comfortable throughout. It, it, the two teams looked 
pretty evenly matched early on, but that's not all that rare. I mean, K-State did stretch out uh, a seven-point lead, 20-13, to 13, uh, fairly early, and then uh, TCU goes on a little run to bring it within uh, th- two, bring it within three. Uh, but it was really that final... Uh, that final four minutes of the first half, and especially where Stokes made that three-pointer right at, right at the end of the half, uh, that stretched your lead out to K-State's biggest lead of the night yeah. at that point to nine, that you're thinking, okay, this is a, this is a little bit more comfortable uh, than the rest of the first half was. And it was nice to just have that momentum going into the locker room. But there wasn't any... Enormous cause for concern. Um, K-State wasn't shooting lights out in that yeah. first half and really didn't shoot lights out throughout the night. Uh, but luckily enough for K-State, TCU was missing uh, more of their shots. Uh, even some threes that they had pretty good looks yeah. on that you remember thinking, man, on a night where K-State is uh, not shooting the ball well, it's fortunate that TCU happens to be shooting it worse. Uh, and on some of those not... Uh, it didn't appear that K-State was impacting those shots at all to to make them particularly tough. They just weren't going in for TCU. And so on a night when you're shooting poorly in the first half, uh, to claim a nine-point lead on the road against a, a fringe tournament team like TCU, is, uh, is you'll, you'll absolutely take that. Yeah, it's interesting. You look at the, uh, the Kim Palm box score, and with, with about five minutes left, in in uh in the first half, uh, Kim Palm actually has it looking like a, a TCU uh, is the slight favorite in terms of the win probability. Well, that would have been when it was tied. I tied, would imagine yeah. twenty three all. Yeah, and then it's that big str- that fifteen zero stretch. Uh, obviously, uh, changes things quite dramatically there. But wanted to uh, look here at when you look at the look at the box score here for for K State, you've got. Uh, the bell cow with 10 points, Wade with 9, Sneed with 11, Brown with 16, and Stokes with 15. And that's the kind of balance that, you know, we've talked about this several times here on the podcast, but that's the kind of balance that makes K-State such a difficult team, uh, such a difficult team to match up with for opponents because, you know, not every night is Dean Wade going to go out and get 25 or Barry Brown going to go out and get 25. But more often than not, you can count on three or even four of those guys uh, to be in double figures and really give you and really give you a balanced attack up and down the lineup. Of course, with the bench production, um, K-State only got three points off the bench. Uh, those three points being a courtesy of Mike McGurl, but on a very nice hand one, by the way, mm. down there. Uh, you know, getting the pump fake and, and finishing on a reverse layup. But when you get Cartier Jada back, I think that bench is going to look a lot more dynamic. And uh, this is really a team right now that is rolling and I think is playing some of their better basketball, some of the best basketball of their season, really. Yeah, absolutely. And and to your point on that 15-0 run, uh, that was not, you know, it's hard to imagine a 15-0 run being a, a quick thing, a lightning-fast thing. But uh, that 15-0 run spanned six minutes of game time. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
as I mentioned earlier, some of that was TCU's bad shooting and some of just not going in. But to hold any team, regardless of of their outside shooting, to scoreless for uh, you know six whole minutes is is quite a feat. And you know it's it's hard. It's obviously hard to win when you go that long without scoring. And uh, K State was able to do enough offensively, and it's a credit to. Uh, to a team that at times has struggled in their own right to score yeah. uh, during long stretches to uh, find ways to do that to the opponent and, in the meantime, take advantage of it and, and get the ball in the bucket. You know, Dealy, one thing I want to mention, too, is what case they did defensively in this game. Um, one guy that really was a difference that case they didn't have a ton of answers for was Kevin Samuel. Uh, down there in the post, uh, chipping in 17 points as, as their high point man. Um, but really, when you look at some of the guys that if TCU is going to play well and win games in this league, it's going to be due to the outside shooting of Bain uh, and Noy especially are, are two guys that, that you look at. But those guys were really pretty much non-factors. Noy uh, held scoreless, only four shot attempts. And Desmond Bain, um, only two of six from the field. So not only just limiting their effectiveness, uh, keeping them off the scoreboard, but really not even allowing them to get many shots up. Uh, I thought is I think it speaks very highly of K-State's defense and uh, their defensive game plan in this one. Yeah, I mean, and also Alex Robinson, who, who was limited to seven points as well. Although I will say, I think some of uh, Samuel's production – Maybe uh, comes as a comes as bit, a result yeah. of those guys Getting doing so other things. Attention. I mean, you look at uh, Alex Robinson; he did have six assists on the night, and I don't have those numbers in front of me. I don't know how many of those were to Samuel, but when he's getting past the backcourt defenders, uh, that obviously requires some help from uh, K State's post players, in particular the bell cow, who drew the assignment on Samuel for uh, much of the night. And you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna interject here real quick, D. Lou. Uh, there were some that were critical of the Bell Cow's performance on Monday night. Uh, you know, we were watching the game together. I thought he played just fine. Uh, how, how did you kind of assess his performance? Yeah, I thought it was A+. Plus. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, I, but I love the Bell Cow. Yeah, we I, I will say that I, I do understand people's frustration with him just because he, when he plays the game, he appears to be very uncoordinated. Uh, he drops the ball a lot. He brings it down too much. Uh, he really has a hard time holding on to the basketball, and that's that's a detriment. I mean, that's bad. Sure, three turnovers against uh, the Frogs on, on Monday. Three turnovers and just not being able to handle some passes that he should probably handle. Um, but lost in all that is, listen, he he played 28 minutes. He grabbed six boards. And went five of six from the field, so he's doing some good things out there. Yeah, he's also playing a defensive scheme that switches all the time. So he's yeah. drawing a lot and, of and hedging aw- out. And, yeah, yeah, so he's drawing a lot of awkward assignments, and so yeah, his mistakes. And frankly, I think a lot of this is a hangover from the KU game. Um, and well, or what was the game he he missed so many dunks. That would have been West Virginia. West West, Virginia. Western Virginia, yeah. So, excuse me. So, I think that that game really just 
and understandably so, got under the skin of, of some K-State fans to say, listen, what's this cow doing out there? He's, got, what, yeah, what's going on out here? Uh, he can't. There's something wrong with him. Uh, and so there are reasons to be critical of him. But overall, he's by far the best post player we have on our team besides Dean. Oh, yeah, no question. Um, I mean, uh, no the, question. the only possible argument would be Trice. Yeah, and that, he's that's no question. Yeah, he, I don't know how many games Trice has played where he's had double digit minutes this year. A handful, mean, if, at most. Yeah, and so sure, there there are reasons to be critical of uh, the bell cow, but he also brings a lot to the table, or at least he brings things to this team that it really can't find anywhere else. No, I mean when you see what I think that's very well put. I think he's. Um, I think he's done fine. Uh, there, there are some. You can look back at maybe the game last year against KU in the Big Twelve tournament where he goes out and gets, you know, twenty nine points or whatever it was against KU, and say, well, you know, I'm not expecting him to go out and get twenty nine points, you know, on a on a given night, but I'd like to see more of, you know, more of those flashes, seeing him become a dependable fifteen point. Uh, guy and, I, and maybe maybe that's where some uh, frustrations coming from for some folks. But he knows his role on the team. It's not to be a primary option, and I, I think you see him get a little bit more comfortable uh, in the last couple games, stepping out and knocking down a fifteen footer. Um, you know, as TCU was making a little bit of a run there, kind of later in the second half after uh, cutting it to single digits. Uh, Bell Cow comes down there, pops a, about a 16, 17-footer. Splash, baby. I mean, it's it, he's got a nice stroke, and any type of offensive production, like you, know, like you said, five of six, very efficient, knowing his role, That th- those are great contributions. And if K-State kind of continues to get those kind of uh, contributions from the Bell Cow, uh, They'll be they'll be quite pleased with that. I would I would expect. Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, that jumper he had there towards the top of the key, uh, that actually uh, ended an eight zero run. Okay. Uh, for TCU yep. uh, to prevent the game from uh, becoming single digits. Okay, so it was right. right they were K State was up eleven, okay. and that jumper brought him to thirteen. But being able to have the confidence to step up when K State was kind of leaking a little bit there. Yeah, I mean, ha- having a hard time scoring. Uh, you know, I, you see the bell cow pull up at the top of the key, and you, everybody's kind of holding their breath, but lo and behold, it goes in. Um, I think that shows his range, so to speak, uh, offensively, that uh, he's shown the wherewithal recently to be able to finish a dunk, yeah. which, you know... But also like be that. able to stretch that out and be able to make a jumper when K-State is having a hard time getting anything to go through. Um, two other guys I want to hit on here. Uh, the two senior guards, Barry Brown and Kamal Stokes. Uh, Brown with 16, Stokes with 15 uh, on the night against TCU. Brown doing his thing in the midrange. Um, that was really his sweet spot uh, kind of throughout the second half, really when he kind of – started to really take the ball into his hands and kind of close that sucker out, uh, living in the mid-range, getting to the basket, doing what he does best. Yeah, and, you know, he's he's been kind of struggling, and even in this game, I 
he still isn't playing as well as he was throughout really the middle part of the conference season. And, and that's fair because he played at such a high level throughout the middle of the conference season. But being able to find ways to score uh, 16 points on a night where I found myself still being a little frustrated with uh, you know his regression over the last month or so, uh, being able to get 16 points, uh, 7 of 15 from the field, 0 of 3 from beyond the arc. So still hasn't found... One of his uh, last 15 from behind the arc. Right. So so there's a bit of a trend uh, for Barry struggling, just struggling jump shooting for, yeah. for the most part. He's um, shooting which, actually a career worst from behind the arc right now, under, under 30%. And... It, for whatever reason, I know they talk about it on ad nauseum on the uh, on the broadcasts, but this season especially, he's just been a lot more comfortable. Uh, you know, one or one foot, a few inches in front of the three point arc. And for me, like, and then you always hear the commentators say, "Oh, the analytics nerds hate that because you know you take one foot behind the arc and it's a three pointer instead; it's just a long two." Well. For me, and it's popularly known as the worst shot in basketball is the long two. To me, the worst shot in basketball is one that doesn't go in. Yeah, it's one, and, well, and it's, if, or it's one that's guarded. I mean, yeah. and if, if Barry feels comfortable taking those shots, if if he likes the looks he's getting, then that, yeah, it's just it's just a level of comfort for him, right? Like, it, like that's a, that's the sweet spot. That's where he cooks. And if and if they're available, then you take them. Yeah, because that and the other thing too is. Uh, a mid-range jump shot like that for the normal shooter might not be a high percent shot, but for him, it, it's been easy to see. That's where that's right in his wheelhouse. That's his that's his sweet spot. That's where he gets his business done. Yeah, exactly. And so you're comfortable having him shoot, although, uh, and it's hard to be critical of him on a night where he puts up 16. You would like to see him be a little bit more efficient. Uh, than seven of fifteen from the field, yeah. no of three from three point land, but uh, luckily for K State, uh, they they shot it well enough, uh, got to the line enough to yeah uh, shot well from the line too. Right, I mean thirteen of fourteen. That's I would imagine K State's highest percentage of the season, uh, where on nights where they shot fourteen or more free throws. But yeah. uh, it was helpful. It was certainly helpful. Yeah. So what's uh. We'll, we'll want to hit on Kamal Stokes real quick. Thought that three right before half was really uh, a big shot from him, and that really got K State uh, running. But to me, he's been K State's best player probably over the last week and a half. I think that's fair to say. Uh, in the game against KU and Lawrence, he was really the only one that that showed up, uh, if you want to call it that. But um, talk about what you've seen out of him. I think that he's been maybe playing some of his best ball of the season uh, here as we wind down the regular season. Yeah, I mean, he's been doing a lot for K-State. Uh, I think he's so much better defensively this year than he's been in the past, too. Absolutely. and That's, what, that's what's most notable to me. What he brings on defense is huge this year. I mean, just having two backcourt guys who can – uh, defend some of the better guards in this league. Take an Alex Robinson, for example, who, uh, you know, as we mentioned in our previous episode, they just turned him over all night. Uh, 
and to be able to limit him to only seven points is is a testament to uh, to the defense that Stokes played. Although, uh, as we mentioned earlier, Robinson got it done dishing the ball out. But uh, really, as you mentioned, over the last week and a half, it's it's been what he's been bringing offensively. Uh, Fifteen points against uh, TCU, sixteen against Baylor. Uh, he was K State's best offensive player against KU. Uh, went uh, three of four from three point land against Oklahoma State, and just really put together four pretty good offensive uh, performances for a guy that K State. Uh, you know, when you think of this team's dynamic scores, Kamau Stokes isn't one that yeah. comes to the front of your mind. You're thinking Barry Brown, Dean Wade, even Xavier Sneed. Uh, but to get that kind of production out of out of Kamau Stokes, who's probably K State's third or fourth uh, offensive threat out of the starting five, uh, certainly a, a valuable trait, uh, especially on a night where Dean uh, is limited to nine points. Yeah, and I didn't think Dean Wade was as aggressive as you would have liked to see. Uh, so something to monitor going forward. I think he only shot the ball two times in the second half. Uh, but you know, it was really a position where he didn't didn't have to, and and K State was able to to roll to a relatively stress free win here on the road against TCU. Drew, is there anything you'd like to add uh, further on this game? Yeah, just about Wade. Uh, as we mentioned, only nine points, uh, but did a lot of other things, and yeah. I think that's what yeah. that's what, especially this season, that's what K State's gonna gonna miss from him moving forward. Uh, six rebounds for him, five assists, three steals. Had a couple of really nice passes. Uh, one uh, led to a, a bell cow slam. So yeah, always so great seeing him feed the cow. You love seeing your big guys be able to dish the ball around, especially when a guy draws double teams like yeah. Wade tends to do. And to take advantage of that and uh, have five assists is uh, is a testament to him. And also three steals. I mean, just a couple interceptions from him. Yep. Uh, the one you mentioned on the runout was lead, lead the break to to Barry back to Dean for the slam. Yeah, that was that was, was great. Oh, that's how you draw. It. Yep, great job by and it. Whenever you have a, a steal like that, when you're running a two on one, pretty much a half court, from half court on, you want to get that ball up as quickly as you can. So that way, you know, you, you don't get the guy, your teammates. Uh, you don't give him the ball in a bad position. You give him with plenty of time to make that decision. And uh, for Barry, he could have finished it probably on his own because he's an elite finisher. Uh, but he decided to uh, reward the big fella and uh, give it up to him. So uh, for a nice alley-oop there to uh, to really get K-State off and running. So that'll do it here for uh, the K-State's um, TCU review. Uh, as I said, K-State... Uh, continues to roll on the road, 64-52 winners over the TCU Horn Frogs. So, uh, without any further ado, let's just go ahead and jump into uh, Saturday's matchup against Oklahoma. It's a five o'clock tip in the Octagon of Doom, ESPN two. Uh, so this will be the final game of the regular season, Senior Day in Manhattan. Uh, as we mentioned, uh, Texas Tech. We'll play Iowa State. That's another game that K-State fans will be keeping their eye on. And Iowa State was a loser tonight uh, to West Virginia, 90-75. to uh, We're coming to you on a Wednesday night. 
and uh, Iowa State goes and gets pretty well drubbed on the road, uh, was down by 21 at the break. So a complete domination um, at the hands of the last place team in the Big 12, West Virginia. So not what you want to see right now if you're an Iowa State fan here is they are kind of limping to the finish. Uh, so you'd think the motivation would be there to, uh, to go out and play well against, TC, or against uh, Texas Tech, but that game's at one. So obviously with K-State and Texas Tech tied the standings, um, a share if if Iowa State or if uh, if Texas Tech is able to beat Iowa State, then K State will have to beat Oklahoma to uh, maintain a share of the Big Twelve title. If Texas Tech loses to Iowa State and K State is to win against Oklahoma, they will have the Big Twelve title outright. So, gives you an idea of kind of what uh, is at stake throughout the rest of the conference uh, in terms of the conference race as we enter the final Saturday of the season. So let's look at this Oklahoma team. Obviously, looked very good last night, uh, taking care of KU uh, in pretty handy, handily fashion. I mean, 81-68, 13-point decision makes it look a little bit closer than it actually was. Yeah, I mean, anytime a team has one timeout remaining with, what, eight minutes left yeah, in the first half? Yeah, early in the, in the first half, yeah. And it, uh, it didn't get much better uh, for KU. Yeah, um, Oklahoma completely controlled this game really from the word go. Yeah, absolutely. One. And so Oklahoma's a bit of a hot team lately. Uh, you know, Playing well. Certainly demonstrated last night against KU. But something to keep in mind, uh, so Oklahoma's won four out of five. Correct. Right, Icon? That's, that's, that's what the numbers are telling me. Uh, Oklahoma's lost two of their last three road games. Okay. Uh, so they've been getting... They've been getting fat at home. A little. Yeah. Uh, they And the Lloyd Noble Center is one of the most intimidating places to play. I mean, I think there were like a whole 3,000 people there last night for the KU game. Yeah, and they were giving away tickets for free. Um, but OU goes on the road against Iowa State of, during this five, four out of five uh, stretch they've had. Loses by 16 to the Cyclones. Okay. Um, now, they, do, they did go on the road and... Uh, win in Fort Worth uh, to start that five-game stretch. But, uh, you know, when you, when you examine their hot streak, you look at, well, they won 92-80 to 80 against West Virginia. Cool. Um, you know, high scoring. That's a high-scoring game. And credit to them for being able to, to uh, find the bottom of the net against the Mountaineers. But uh, giving up 80 to the Mountaineers is, uh, is another story. Um, and so, you know, last night was obviously very impressive, but K-State has been pretty consistent after its first two, uh, after its first two conference games. Um, obviously they, they had a rough go against Iowa State, uh, they had a rough go against KU, but otherwise those appear to be outliers, and, uh, especially that Iowa State game. Uh, where Iowa State really shot lights out. I think it would take a performance uh, similar to the Iowa State performance to uh, knock off K-State this weekend. Well, uh, you look at this Oklahoma team and kind of the, I guess kind of the outlook that maybe someone that maybe hasn't seen a lot of Iowa, or a lot of Oklahoma this year 
may look back at some of their teams, like when they had Buddy Heald and uh, Trey Young, right. as a team that's just going to run and gun and just really look to just light up the scoreboard and, and have defense be a little bit of an inconvenience for them. However, that's not really the case with this Oklahoma team. Uh, this Oklahoma team is actually a top 20 defense in college basketball by, uh, by Ken Palm. So it's a team that it, you're not going to confuse them for one of the top teams in terms of defense of the conference like a Texas Tech or a K-State. But this is a team that is not as offensive-reliant as maybe they've been in the past with with those uh, teams with Trey Young and, and Buddy Heald and, and company. So this Oklahoma team has some explosiveness uh, on the offensive end. That, that part has remained. Uh, they sh- can shoot the ball pretty well from outside, but uh, maybe a little bit more of a complete team than, than some of their previous versions. Yeah, and a little out of character for Long Kruger squads, but uh, as we mentioned earlier, I mean, that West Virginia game seems a little bit like a throwback to those those old. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. That that part of their, I guess, their DNA is not quite not quite washed out, not completely eradicated. Yeah. But uh, going into a tough environment, I expect the Octagon Dome to be uh, rocking on Saturday, and we'll see uh, whether or not they can. Uh, Hold up to that road environment. In a road environment, as I mentioned, even during this stretch, uh, they haven't had a ton of success on. Well, uh, Drew, I want to just highlight a few players here um, for Oklahoma. One guy who's probably going to find himself on some uh, first-team All-Big 12 ballots. I don't think he'll be on the first team. But a guy that will get some consideration is Christian James. Uh Pretty darn solid player, guy that uh, can beat you from inside and outside. They all have a a bunch of their guys are kind of in that they don't play a ton of guys over six uh, ten. I mean, they've got McNeese, who's kind of a a big guy down low, and Matt Freeman. But Matt Freeman, he'll he'll prefer to shoot from outside rather than than bang with you down low. But a team that's pretty darn athletic and that can give you some troubles on defense due to their length. Uh, but offensively, uh, they'll also invert their offense a little bit. And, and what I mean by that is they'll go up and, and just, if, if a guy's got a, a mismatch in terms of maybe a guy like Christian James, if he finds Barry Brown on him or if he finds Kamau Stokes on him, he'll just go down in the block and call for the ball. And... Uh, Look to look to play some ISO against you, so uh, it's interesting to see how they play. Uh, they'll run a little bit of that. Uh, Brady Manick, uh, who if you've seen him play, the game's not so much like Larry Bird, but his appearances. Uh, hmm. He's got the long hair, the mustache. He's uh, looks like he's straight out of the wrong decade. The hick from uh, Salt Lick. French Lick. French Lick. Salt Lick is something that forces. French okay, Lick. I'll take your word for it. But French Lick, uh, Indiana, for, for uh, Larry Legend. But uh, Brady Manick, who, uh, as, as you know, Drew, uh, hails from uh, Hera, Oklahoma. Of course. Uh, is, is a guy that can really, can really shoot from outside. Uh, shot the ball really well uh, against KU uh, on Tuesday and is a guy that if K-State uh, is to win this game, 
uh, they're going to need to limit his effectiveness. So uh, James, uh, Christian Doolittle is a guy that's uh, at 6'7", is probably one of their best back-to-the-basket guys. Jumani McNeese, uh, as I mentioned, uh, is really kind of their one, two, one true post presence. But he, a lot of his stuff is going to be coming off of energy, uh, chasing down loose balls, kind of cleaning up, uh, cleaning up the slop around the basket and getting putbacks and, and using his energy and his motor to get some points on the board for him. But they're, they're a team that's going to drive you off the ball. They're going to shoot some threes, and they're a pretty complete team offensively. They can attack you from a lot of ways. Yeah, and James, as you mentioned earlier, uh, put up 20 points against K-State in the first go-around. Uh, nine of those came from the free-throw line, which, uh, if you recall, he was a bit of a – he presented a bit of an issue for K-State, uh, you know, getting to the basket. And so uh, K-State's guards will have their work cut out for him on Saturday – uh, with him and trying to limit his production. Um, Manic, only five points the first go-around, and McNeese uh, did not score at all against K-State. Only no. 14 minutes for the big man. Uh, and if uh, if you uh, recall, that was a game that Dean Wade fouled out in. Okay. Um, and so OU's uh, ability to get to the line, especially down low... Uh, presented a bit of a problem for K-State. Um, yeah. Wade only getting 25 minutes, putting up 20 points, though. Yeah. And so Played he, well that game. He, uh, for his limited time there, he, he did a lot for K-State. Uh, 8 of 14 for uh, Mr. Wade. But, yeah, an interesting uh, matchup for K-State. Uh, the first go-around, K-State was able to really be have a lot of success offensively uh, and limit OU success, but... It seems like uh, forever ago that we played it. Yeah. It really does. For a long time. And actually, uh, Richard Odoms, am I pronouncing that correctly? Uh, Just Odoms. 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 Yeah, Odoms. Odoms. Oh, I was exactly right. You're referring to, uh, like, the O'Connell Center for the Gators. Yeah, that's right. The Odom. Uh, 17 points off the bench for him. Yeah, the first in the first trip, and so yeah, it's uh, certainly a a good night for him coming off the bench, um, playing twenty five minutes off the bench. In fact, yeah, uh, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how K State intends to attack Oklahoma uh, after that first trip. You wonder if K State's gonna have a penchant for bringing it in a little bit and playing a little zone on Saturday. Something K State's shown a willingness to do over the last month. Yeah, I, I would expect K-State to just really try getting after him uh, man-to-man in this game. Uh, one guy I do want to mention for Oklahoma is Jamal Bienemy, uh the nephew of former Colorado running back and current Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bien-Ami. Uh He's a freshman from Katy, Texas, who has really been one of their more uh, consistent contributors here uh during Big 12 season, so definitely another guy to watch out, uh, a guy that you will be, you'll be hearing from for a number of years here in this conference. Oklahoma's got a nice little team, uh, I think with their win against KU, uh, that pretty much solidifies that they'll be in the NCAA tournament, and probably get in the tournament as anywhere from about an 8 to a 10 seed, 
eight to eleven seed maybe, but their their um, their ability to actually do anything in the NCAA tournament is going to come down to uh, even though the numbers like them a little bit more defensively, it, it, it's going to come down to. Uh, really being able to grind out in, a, in maybe a lower possession game, really grind out those defensive stops. So be interesting to see uh, how, how this Oklahoma team does uh, as we go a little bit further here. But uh, as for how it goes down Saturday, D'Lo, how do you see this game unfolding? I see – really I view this game pretty similarly to uh, how I view the TCU game. I, I think uh, – K-State's the better team. I think they're playing good basketball right now. Uh, Barry showed on uh, on Monday night that he's hopefully on the upswing of whatever slump he was in, and uh, uh, he gets it together. Uh, with Stokes really performing well, I just don't I don't see OU walking into uh, to K-State on senior day and escaping with a victory or, or really too close of a game. Uh, I expect K-State to win this sucker uh, by a fairly comfortable margin. I'd say somewhere in the range of 70 to 58. Okay, so double digits. Yeah, I, I think K-State wins this game by double digits. All right. So I see the game very similarly. I um, I like K-State in this one. Uh, senior day, a lot on the line in terms of Closing out this regular season, whether it's an outright conference title or a shared conference title with Texas Tech, I think that's something that uh, speaks for itself in terms of motivation. Uh, K-State's also, uh, if you look at the bigger picture, they're, they're planning to improve their seed in the NCAA tournament too. Uh, that's something that you have no doubt that that's uh, you know, on their mind maybe a little bit as well. Uh, K-State finishes out the season – uh, on a high note here in Manhattan, as as they take care of Oklahoma, I'm gonna go 72 to 61. So we're we're about in the yeah, exact right. same ballpark. Yeah, we're we're very close. 72 61, and caps off a, a really kind of an incredible season for K State in terms of where this season was looking when they start 0 2 in conference play, and not only 0 2 in conference play, staring 0 3. Uh, right in the eyes, down 20 points to West Virginia and uh, having a 21-point comeback uh, to, to beat West Virginia. It really salvaged the season and uh, parlay that into a, a nine-game conference winning streak and um, a conference championship. Now, given your score prediction, I assume I already know the answer to this question, but I think it's the possibility of it's worth talking about. So senior day Saturday, obviously a very heralded senior class for K-State with uh, the big three. Mm-hmm. Um, do, do you anticipate any sort of increased pressure there? I mean, obviously K-State knows it's playing for a conference championship on Saturday. Uh, how, do you think the emotions of that figure into this game at all? Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's something you can't discount at all. Uh, and typically with these kind of senior days, uh, it, it negatively, it, it seems like to me, it more oftentimes negatively impacts the home team. Yeah, that's uh, what I coming, wanted to coming, ask you about, whether, coming whether out, that pressure yeah. would be a detriment. Yeah, you know, I've seen it uh, firsthand, uh, teams that come out 
just come out flat, come out – well, not I shouldn't say come out flat, maybe come out overcharged and, and uh, their mind's racing, but their play is kind of, kind of flat, I guess, for, for lack of a better term. And, and they don't play well, and they get down a, an early six to eight points. But with this team, this team knows what's at stake. They're, it's more than just a senior day for them. It's a chance to cross off a, a huge accomplishment – uh, on on both of their resumes is you know they talk about their bucket list of things to do and, and no doubt winning a Big 12 title is is right at the top of that list and I think that they're it's too focused of a group it's too well coached of a group uh, to to let that uh, get in the way so I wouldn't be surprised to see K State come out maybe a, a, a little. Uh, too jacked up and, and, and maybe spot OU a quick little lead, but I think the I think K State's clearly the better team here, and I think the home crowd will will play a big big role in, in K State's victory on Saturday. Yeah, and I, I think, think it's gonna that... be, it's gonna be a great crowd too. I I was looking online. I actually had a buddy text me if I knew if I had any uh, extra <coughs> tickets available. And I, I, I do not know of any extra tickets available, but I looked online, and I think the cheapest get-in price was about 85 bucks. I believe it. So, it's, uh, which isn't necessarily a ton of money, but there were some tickets that were going like for 350 bucks on there, which I thought was a little bit crazy. But, hey, you know, everyone wants to see the Scorpion. Well, there's not very many opportunities that you get um, for most teams to watch your team secure a conference championship on your own court. Yeah, and and, and also, too, not only just the chance to see a conference championship be clinched, but uh, to to really send off uh, three seniors with, with Barry Brown, uh, Kamal Stokes, and Dean Wade uh, on the highest note possible. Right. It's a confluence of several factors, but suffice it to say that Saturday's uh, a big game for K-State's basketball program, and one that uh, will certainly be remembered for years, yeah. uh, win or lose. No question. No question. That's really well put there, Drew. That's a, that's great work for Thank you. Uh, so that'll do it here for the TCU review and OU preview portion of the short side option. When we return after this break, we'll talk about those three seniors and answer your questions and ask the icon. Join us after this. All right, welcome back to this week's edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. And the Icon has something a, a little special planned uh, with regard to Senior Day on Saturday. Uh, obviously, the big three, Kamau Stokes, Barry Brown, Dean Wade, their final game in Manhattan, Kansas, uh, for the Wildcats. And I think the Icon has a little retrospective uh, planned for us. Icon, tell us a little about these uh, three seniors impacts on uh, K-State. Well, uh, Dilu, thank you for that uh, introduction. Uh, when all three of these guys came in in the 2015 recruiting class. And really, when you look at it, Dean Wade was the highest rated, most ballyhooed recruit, uh, 106th nationally by rivals, uh, chose K-State over a number of different offers, uh, Creighton, Iowa, Oklahoma, TCU, Vanderbilt, Wichita State, the list goes on. Um, but a guy who grew up in St. John, Kansas, as everyone 
that's followed K-State knows. But a guy who grew up a K-State fan, grew up uh, following K-State, and is a guy that when you look at uh, his career at K-State, started off as a freshman, uh, averaging right about 10 points a game. Uh, took a step back the next year, uh, only averaging uh, 9.3. Then you saw him really transform into uh, really an all-conference caliber player. Really blossom. Yeah, into a into a, a guy that would uh, obviously parlay his junior year campaign into a into a senior year where he was the preseason conference player of the year. Uh, Dean Wade is is going to go down uh, as one of the. Uh, as one of the more skilled players in, in terms of a complete package and where you see his name littered, uh, top 10, um, going to be right near the top 10. I, I, can't, I don't think he's in the top 10 right now, but he's knocked on the door of points, uh, also rebounds, minutes played uh, in the top 10 in a couple of those other categories. But a guy who um, you know, really has been a very productive player for K-State, of course has battled injuries uh, over the last – uh, two years, but a guy that looks to be trained on the right uh, direction in terms of his health. And if K State's going to go on a big run here in March, uh, Dean Wade's going to going to be right in the middle of it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think it's easy for K State fans to be a little conflicted with Dean Wade because for his first two years, it just seemed like he was a little tentative. Uh, and never really showed that aggression, and even at times throughout the last two years, uh, where it's it's easy to think, man, let's Dean, you're you're better than you're than you think you are. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there's been that sentiment, at least I've noticed for myself, uh, you know, with regard to Dean, but when he has been assertive, and even when he hasn't. He's still being efficient. I mean, there aren't very many games where he's just not adding anything. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a matter of is he adding as much as he could. Yeah, and that's often you know you hear the oh he's he just not in his personality to really be uh, you know overly aggressive looking for his shot, but he's still done a great job at K State and. You know, you have to have some of those guys in terms of, you know, maybe not necessarily being, uh, I mean, certainly you'd like to have him be more aggressive, but he, if he's a supporting cast member, so to speak, and I don't really think he is, I think he's every bit the uh, the importance of, let's say, a Barry Brown, but you look at him maybe as not necessarily uh, an underst- or like a, a supplementary part, but maybe a... Uh, and an on equal level as Barry Brown. I don't think there has to be necessarily a, an alpha and a, a beta necessarily, but just a, there are two guys or two uh, dogs that lead the pack for K State. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know for because I think I th- I do think that he gets unfairly characterized as that sometimes. It may be so, but on the other hand, even in the game last night, you mentioned he put up two shots in the second half. Yep. Not that. K State was you and, know, the game was ever really in jeopardy. It got down to seven points, but uh, you know, for a guy who's shooting above forty percent from three, it's like, hey, you gotta if you get your chance, you 
Yeah. You'd be I, I, I think he could shoot the ball every time down, and I think K-State fans would still say he's not being aggressive enough almost. Uh, maybe not, but I, I think he, I think it's a, a fair point to say, listen, he needs to be taking the most or second most shots for K-State on any given offensive night. Sure, and, sure. And it, he's frankly not. And whether or not that's due to, you know, other people not sharing the ball as much as they should with them or what, but uh, I think that if, if there's anything bad to say about Dean, it's that he's a little too unselfish, that, sure. he, that he could be more assertive in finding his... Uh, and finding his looks and being, uh, and really just reaching his potential as an offensive player. Yeah, and he, and whether if it's not necessarily just with the amount of shots he takes or the points he scores, he does find ways to impact the game. Uh, of course, with his with his uh, assists and sharing the ball, as well as uh, you know serving as really the team's best rebounder in my estimation. Yeah, I think uh, that's as fair a guy to say. that as a guy that can go out and 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 really. Uh, you know, defend his his counterpart uh, just as good as anyone in the conference. So uh, that covers uh, a little summary there on, on Dean Wade. Um, let's go to Kamal Stokes next year, Drew. And um, Kamal Stokes chose K-State over uh, offers from Delaware, Mount St. Mary, and uh, Toledo University. And um, came, came from K-State from Fork Union Military Academy in Fork Union, Virginia. And a guy that didn't come in with a ton of fanfare, but really when you look at what he did uh, from his from his freshman year, he contributed right away as he was uh, you know, playing 26 minutes a game and a guy that um, got thrown right into the fire, as, as really all three of these guys did their freshman year at K-State. But uh, Kamal Stokes was a guy that also kind of like Dean Wade had, had has fought the injury bug a little bit. Uh, of course, uh, injuring his foot um, in his uh, in his freshman year, uh, leaving part of that season uh, with an injury, and then of course last year uh, having uh, hurt his foot again. Coming back, and I think the first time actually was an ankle, but ankle or foot, uh, losing time to injury nonetheless. And then coming back last year and having to adjust into a new role coming off the bench as Cartier Jada had taken over Reigns as the team's starting point guard. And then uh, this year, really um, having started pretty much the entire season, uh, is is a guy that, uh, like I said earlier, I think is playing some of his best basketball uh, here at the start of the season or here at the end of the season, and uh, gives K State a really uh, a nice stability in the backcourt in terms of a guy that's going to, you know, make some shots from the outside, keep the defense honest, and also uh, distribute the ball uh, to the playmakers around. I think he's had a great season, and a guy like I said that has has come in. Um, when he came into K-State, probably under-recruited. Uh, a guy that didn't have not any... Not Ballyhooed. Not Ballyhooed, no Power 5 offers. But a guy who's come in and has been 
extremely, extremely productive throughout his career for K-State. Yeah, I mean, anytime you have a, a player come in and by the end of his career, he will have well over 3,500 minutes. Yeah, all uh, these guys have played. been, have, when they've been healthy, they've been, they've been, uh, you know, they've been out there all the time. I mean, it's, uh, these guys have, have played a lot of basketball together. Right, and, and I think, you know, in a different vein than, than Wade, but Cam last towards the after his injury last year and in the early part of this year I think uh, fans and myself included were a little frustrated with Cam's play and just his uh, play especially after his injury but you look back at what he's produced over these last four years and you you, you start to realize man this guy's just a been a column for K-State um, yeah. and just an absolute staple and somebody that you can really count on just to give you productive minutes. Um, pretty steady Eddie throughout his four years, hovering right around uh, anywhere from 9 to 11 points per game in a given season. Um, and getting that kind of steady performance from a point guard, you'll absolutely take. And to do that over four years is is a, a testament to his consistency, um, especially for somebody who's dealt with injuries like Cam has. Yeah, there's no question. Uh, and he's a guy that early on when K-State, or when he did go out with an injury uh, his freshman year, I mean, that was a team that was obviously rebuilding uh, after um, kind of the mass exodus that had taken place in the program. But he's a guy that uh, when K- when he um, went out with the injury, K-State really struggled uh, without him. And, once he uh, got back and, and, and into the swing of things, you, you realize why K-State missed a guy like Kamal Stokes in terms of a guy that's able to knock down shots, a guy that's able to uh, to get into the lane and, and find people and finish at the rim, as well as a guy that, uh, has, as we've seen later in his career, uh, most notably, a pretty darn solid defender as well. Yeah, absolutely. And so in, when he plays a position like point guard, it's – it's just somebody that you have to rely on uh, to really just engineer an offense. Um, and, you know, this season especially, he's put together some performances when guys like Dean may have been hurt or, or Barry is struggling. Uh, to come in and, and actually put on, uh, really carry the team some nights to lead them. I mean, against Baylor, uh, you know, in early February – Put up 20 points in a 70 to 63 victory uh, down in Waco, um, and being able to just dish the ball out, he, he does a lot of good things that uh, that you may not realize. Well, in addition to his defensive rise this season. Yeah. Well, Kamal Stokes, a a uh, guy that K State's gonna. It's the message that we leave with all these guys is they're gonna need a lot more out of him uh, throughout the rest of this this season in order to uh, to get to where they want to go. So last but certainly not least, Barry Brown. A uh, guy, K-State uh, fans were able to, or may, may remember his recruitment, uh, really kind of came down between uh, three schools, or f- make it four schools, Wichita State, Texas A&M, and Houston. Uh, had, had made visits to all those schools and committed to K-State, uh, you know, going in here to uh, the, as one of the earlier commits in the 2015 class, 
Uh, a guy that, I mean, when you think about Barry Brown, what I guess what comes to your mind for first offhand? First offhand, it's his rise towards the end of last season yeah. in the tournament. I yeah. mean, the Kentucky bucket he got towards the end uh, is where he ascended to the title elite finisher Yeah, in, in my mind. Absolutely. But really, look back at his early career, and this guy was all over the place early on. I mean, average 25, 26 minutes uh, his freshman year, just like, uh, you know, Cam. Mm-hmm. I believe yeah, it was all Cam uh, was playing that amount of time, and he's another guy who's already up over four thousand minutes played for K State, and watching his offensive game develop, uh, being able to drive, and really, you know, this year and last year, with the exception of Jada, a little this year, but really, the one guy on K State's team that you could depend on being comfortable driving downhill. Uh, in an offensive set and getting to the and getting to the rim, um, but as we touched on earlier, his uh, analytics busting offensive game this yeah. season where he's really developed that. I mean, he was good in the mid range last year, but this year, as as you've heard on broadcast uh, on ESPN, a mid range savant, he is that's he where he's buttering li- his bread. He has lived to that billing uh, and more. But you know, Drew, you, you think about. You know his improvement, especially on the offensive end, is like like you had mentioned. I I remember him coming in uh, to K State as a guy that, as a freshman, would be out there guarding uh, the opposition's best guard, and a guy that would not back down from any type of any type of challenge. There, um, when you look at this guy, he's gonna set a mark uh, for steals in a career that. It's going to be pretty tough to pass, I think. He's he's going to be pretty far up that list. But he's also a guy that has had, you know, obviously the Kentucky shot, uh, driving to the layup, dry, the driving layup uh, to, to beat Kentucky, or to put K-State ahead in that game, I should say. It, it didn't seal the deal necessarily, but it, it was a big step in, in sealing the deal in that one. But I also think of, you know, Barry as a leader. Uh, of course, when things... Looked bad last year when Kamal Stokes leaves with an injury. He goes out and gets 38 against Oklahoma State the next night. Or the next ball game, excuse me. Then goes out uh, when Dean Wade is is sidelined during the NCAA tournament. Really puts the team on his back down that stretch uh, to get K-State to an Elite Eight and a game away from the Final Four. And then you think about this year, the game against West Virginia where he famously says in the locker room, if you don't think we can win this game, don't come out in the second half. And when you look at what he's done uh, at K-State, it's easy to see you know, his, his numbers in terms of what he's accomplished, in terms of going to be, uh, he's, I think he's sitting in fifth in all-time scoring right now, and is a guy that is going to keep climbing those charts. But when you look at what his career is, uh, uh, of the three that we've highlighted, I think that he has the best chance of, of getting his uh, number put in the rafters. Oh, I think so, and I think uh, he's a great candidate. And as, as you mentioned, it's we could talk about the mid-range savant, we could talk about how good he is at driving, but I think it's fair to say that probably his best 
attribute is his defense. Oh, no question. Um, because I think it's fair to say that he's the best, uh, at least in the backcourt, he's the best defender in the Big 12, which is no a question. conference he's with... He's up for National Defensive Player of the Year awards and accolades as well, so... He's getting the he's getting the recognition that he uh, rightfully deserves, and and also a guy that unlike the other two, you don't really associate. I don't really recall any extensive injuries for him, and so to be able to put no, he's been uh, an Ironman. Yeah, I mean to go in and play thirty five, thirty six, sometimes forty minutes a game. Um, yeah, no is, question is a testament to. His longevity and his ability to uh, just have the best ability there is, which is, of course... That's your availability, my man. That's right. That's your availability, yeah. So I'm looking through here, and I just want to verify this, but I am about 99% sure that... Yep, and that's that checks out. He's played in every game in his career at K-State. has not missed a single one. Wow. Uh, Cal Ripken. Cal Ripken-esque. So, uh, but yeah, it, it's an it's an incredible senior class, uh, you know that that K State has this year, and this is the thing that makes college sports great, and it's it's especially true at K State because when K State does have these good teams, it's going to be due to junior and senior upperclassmen leadership that really gels well together, and. Uh, and that these are guys that know how to play with each other and guys that can grind grind through it together. And if K-State's going to make a run uh, to get back to an Elite Eight or maybe go on further to the Final Four, you're going to look at this core of, of these three guys as as guys that, you know, when they came into K-State, maybe not the most decorated recruiting class, no hoop scoop number one uh, recruiting ratings here for these guys. But... Uh, their mark is uh, is going to be left. It's already been left here, uh, but I, I think that they're still riding uh, as the uh, the book on uh, the 2019 season is not quite finished. That's right. And this, irregardlessly of what happens over the next month, these guys have certainly added a lot to the K-State basketball program. And, you know, when we're doing this, the short side option podcast and another, you know, for the next 30, 40 years, we'll look back at these guys as potential Wildcat legends. There's no question. I don't think they're... Absolutely. And speaking of Wildcat legends, of course, programming note, uh, there is no Wildcat legend this this episode because that's, we did it earlier this week. That's what in, in the business we call a segue, folks. And we will segue now into our final segment of the, of the Short Side Option podcast, which is, of course, this week's edition of Ask the Icon, where I will remind listeners that they can submit their questions to the Short Side Option's very own Chris the Icon Sork, uh, by tweeting them at us at the Short Side Options Twitter account, which is at T-S-S-O underscore podcast, or using the hashtag Ask the Icon. Or and some nights, just come into our apartment, sit down on the couch, and uh, observe the podcast live. Yeah, uh, Our doors are always open. Um, except when it's locked. Except when it's locked, but during the podcast, it's typically open. Um, if you can find the Short Side Options Studios, that's certainly an option for you as well. Come on in. Come on in. Uh, and our first question this week comes from listener Trim Goema. All right. Uh, at Trim. Or I'm sorry, excuse me. Trim at Trim Goema. Okay. Uh, right. Not to be confused. Uh, Trim asks, <clears throat> Who does the icon Indiru find to be the most tempting temptress on Tempty Island? Now, 
Icon, explain to the listeners a little bit what Trim's referring to. Well, Dilui, I thank you for the, the platform here because I have to give credit first to you because you were the one who, who introduced me to this. I think that, I mean, I don't think there's any questions. It's the best thing on TV right now. Besides the Scorpion. Yeah, of course. That goes without saying. Right. But uh, Temptation Island is a, uh, it's a TV show here, Drew, and feel free to, uh, to jump in if I leave anything out here. Okay. But there are four couples uh, that go on the show. And uh, they are split off into a, a boy's uh, villa and a girl's villa. And for four weeks, they are separated from each other. And, uh, you know, there are other single people of the opposite sex in these, uh, these villas where these couples are trying to see if they can uh, survive the temptation uh, to, to find new love, so to speak. And uh, stay truthful and faithful, and to uh, see if the relationship can work. And then at the end of that, they pretty much decide, uh, you know, kind of where the things things sit with with uh, with the other part of their couple there. Yeah, so. you, you did a great job explaining. And the idea is, as as you said, that if they can somehow survive Temptation Island, their relationship will come out. On yeah, the other come out stronger. stronger. Exactly. Which. Yeah. It makes know. sense if you don't think of that at all that hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, theoretically you could come out on the other end just upset that your significant other uh, did some things you might not like. But And it's also on national television. Yeah, it's also on national television. Yeah. Um, and so, and the singles are, are there to, to literally tempt and hopefully get one of the four people that are in a relationship who they're pursuing, uh, hopefully they'll fall in love with them. Yeah. Which seems far-fetched. But and, at worst, uh, hey, you get a free trip to Maui. Well, yeah, and that's the other thing, too. They're in Maui. They're in these very, very nice uh, villas. There appears to be unlimited alcohol. Yeah, they're they're just, uh, they're having a great time. Yeah. And how can, how can you not? How can you not, really? But um, uh, And so back to Trim's question. Yeah. So he's asking who your favorite temptress, mm-hmm. temptress is. Yeah. So I assume that's, one of the women who are trying to woo one of uh, the men who are uh, who came to the island in a relationship. Yeah, that, that's right, uh, D. Lou. Uh, my personal favorite and the one that I would find most tempting is Catherine. I think she's by far the best looking uh, of the uh, of the uh, of the crew. What, what would you say? Who's the gal? I always forget her name. Who tries to, t- to tempt uh, John? And kind of Catherine's yeah, counterpart. Yeah. Oh, uh, Hannah. She's the one yeah, in e-commerce. Hannah. Yeah, she's in e-commerce. She's yeah, she... What does what's that even mean? You know, I mean... Credit cards? She's She loves credit cards. <laughs> yeah. she, she works in the credit card business. Yeah, I, I think Hannah's character development over from episode about four to to seven or so really went a long way so but, there's your tip the island fix folks yeah man it's a great show they're they're casting season two right now nine o'clock on uh usa nine o'clock usa tuesday nights uh it's it's a reboot we should mention of uh of an older of, show we're bearing the same name of course right except there's some different things going on and it should be noted that none of the couples are they're not married yet yeah none, none, of, none of them are married they're but they, they range in relationship length from, what, about two years to about, what, eight years? Yeah, I think... On this, uh, on this season? Yeah, I think that, so. that's about how uh, far that's split. But uh, great question by Trim. 
really submit all your Temptation Island curiosities uh, to the short side option because we're the authority. Uh, we we can't get enough of it. Yep, right after the game last night. Oh, uh, we were ready. The KU game, the KU game KU last game. night. It we was were. that game wasn't over for thirty seconds before we had well, that before DVR. We had, we had Tempty Island up and running. I had to usually after KU losses, I it's to the fog, man. Yeah, but not. To, uh, but not last night, last night it was to the island. <laughs> Excuse you me. Okay. Heartfelt. Well, Drew, I've been battling a bit of a cold, as as our listeners may have picked up. I'm not trying to act like Sam Elliott, but uh, the voice sounds uh, not so good right now. So continue. Well, we'll move on to uh, Eric at E Rennick. Eric was kind enough to uh, submit a phonetic uh, spelling of his name, oh, so okay. I think I got that right. E Rennick. Uh, Eric asks thoughts on the spring game being canceled for an interactive practice. And then he has a follow-up question about uh, about basketball. Um, don't really like that the spring game's canceled, but do you like the spring game? Yeah, I do. I do like the spring game. I, I enjoy it a lot. It's a it's a fun um, simulation of actual football. Um, I mean, it's yeah, I mean it, it's actual football out there. I mean, granted, it's all watered down, and you know nothing's really much is happening. But it, it provides fans a an opportunity to. To get back in the swing of things in terms of being in Manhattan, seeing seeing some teams go at it. So I, I'm going to miss it, but in terms of the interactive practice, I'm not crazy about it. <clears throat> I'm with you. I'll leave it at that. Okay. Uh, Eric's second question is, will Barry Brown need a big performance on Saturday to lock up Big 12 Player of the Year? You know, he probably will, and I, I, I don't think he's probably going to win Big 12 Player of the Year, unfortunately. Who do you think it's going to? <sighs> I, hmm, man, I, I don't have a great feel for this. I don't think it should go to him, but I think Dietrich Lawson might win it still, because he's going to lead the conference. When I, he's going to lead the conference in points and rebounds per game. However, he plays for the conference's third best team. Shouldn't that mean something, Drew? Yeah, you think so? I mean, he's but, not competing with anybody on his team for. Rebounds, certainly. Yeah, and Jarrett Culver's going to get a lot of talk for Tech. and He's a good player, but you know, I think in terms of what Barry Brown provides, offensively and defensively for K-State, he'd be, have my vote, but I kind of get the feeling that it might not go that way. So I think a big performance would go a long way for him, but uh, I think it's maybe not as looking as likely, especially with uh, Barry not having uh, – not necessarily coming out a stretch of really great games from him. Yeah, 19 points. I think that KU game really stung. Yeah, well, and not. just this little drought yeah. he's been on. I mean, ni- 19 points, 10.5 rebounds is pretty impressive. tough to argue yeah. against. Yeah, no question. Uh, next question comes from listener James Kendall, at James underscore Kendall. He says, correct me if I'm wrong, but Cyclone fans don't want the Cats to win the Big 12. What are the odds that their beloved team can knock off Tech Saturday and give the Cats an outright title? Well, I didn't know there was such animosity. Oh, I did. Oh, you did? Yeah, I I absolutely did. They they absolutely despise K-State. Which is weird because I always say it's such an afterthought in Big 12, be it football or basketball. I mean, they've never won. I don't think... Have they ever won the regular season conference? Yeah, they have. With those Marcus Pfizer teams? Uh, yeah, 
Yeah, Mark, I think it was like 2001, 2002 was the last time. I know they won a slew of Big 12 tournaments, but... Yeah. Well, and uh, but to answer James' question here, um, Mariel Shayok, as I mentioned, his availability, he was out tonight against West Virginia. His availability is, is questionable at best uh, for Saturday's contest. Without Shayok, there's no chance that Iowa State wins this one. So, uh, to answer James' question, I would say... Outlook does not look so good. So That's what the Magic 8-Ball would say. Likely a shared title if K-State is able to uh, come away with a win on Saturday. Correct, correct. Next question comes from listener K-Slim at K-Slim uh, LB3. K-Slim asks, two-part question. Who extends the dr- streak in the draft next year? We'll go ahead and let you answer that one first. Well, the, the streak in the draft, of course, referring to the K-State football draft streak, which is the longest in the country. Um, I think it's the longest in the Big 12. Is it the longest in the country? I believe so, but you know what? Yeah, we'll just go with that. We'll, okay. Longest in the country. Okay, yeah, longest in the country. Um, I think uh, Scott Franz is probably your best bet for that. Um, I think that he's, you know, plays a position that... Uh, with with offensive tackle, obviously a, a premium position in the um, in the NFL, I think he's probably your most likely uh, candidate there. Um, and then if what was the second part to that? Uh, uh, just a program, just a quick update. Uh, not the longest in the country. Oh, okay, so <laughs> just longest in the Big Twelve. Uh, who do you think has the longest streak in the country? Oh golly, if I was gonna guess. I'd probably say Michigan State. You know, close, actually. And odd that you guessed that. But uh, longest in the country, actually, uh, Michigan and USC, who have streaks uh, longer than 80 years. Holy cow! <laughs> yeah, that's jeepers. That's a long time. <laughs> that's a long time. 80 years. Every. I didn't even know that. Honestly, I didn't know the NFL draft extended back that far. Golly, that's a I, long time. I would have guessed that they just offered contracts at random back yeah. in the 30s and 40s. But, huh. Uh, yeah, so not quite there yet. Well, I'll uh, be darned. Uh, I'll second, be darned and you be Drew. That I sure will. Uh, second question comes, uh, if the streak isn't extended, do we become a basketball school? Yeah, yeah, we do. All right, asked and answered. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so we think basketball it's going to be Frank. Frank's, he's going to be first-team All-Big 12 preseason, won't he? You would expect so. I mean, he... First or second? I mean, I I don't know exactly. I know Oklahoma loses a lot off their offensive line. I would assume he would be first team. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's a, a good ball player, and he's uh, been around long enough. He's all, a known commodity. Yeah, there's a, a lot of that goes into kind of the, the politics of the it politics all. of it all. Yeah, but no, I think he's a fine player, and I think uh, now I don't know. I'll be interested to see where Dalton Reisner. Is it Reisner or Risner? I always mess that up. I think it's Reisner is how it's pronounced, right? I always say Risner. Risner? Okay, maybe that's right. Risner. Let me know in the comments if I'm if I'm doing this right. But uh Big Seventy One, we'll call him that. I, I can't I can't mess that one up. Uh I'll be interested to see where he goes. Some mock drafts have had him going these were maybe a little bit earlier mock drafts had him going possibly in the first or second round. More of them have him maybe as a day three selection. Um I think I would lean to more towards the second or third round selection for him, but uh, we'll no doubt be interested to see where he lands, and and you know of course Alex Barnes as well. So be interested to see that. 
We almost had a watershed moment here on the Big 12, or on the, on the uh, short side. Almost had our first sneeze on, on air. The, on the first on-air sneeze. Wow. But that was close. We don't, have a, we don't have a sneeze button to hit. Maybe that, that, I don't know if that's in the budget yet for next year or not. Yeah, if we would have had a sneeze button, it definitely, uh, I definitely would have slammed it there. Uh, final question this week comes from listener Michael O'Laughlin at Why So Syllabus. Oh, that's clever. Yeah. Uh, like, why so serious, like the Joker, you know, in Batman? Yeah, you got it. But instead of serious syllabus, like, you know, what you get on the first day of class. Exactly. Yeah. How, how, about, on. how about that? Uh, Michael asks, hey, the icon, in honor of the Lenten season, which fast food chain would you say has the best fish sandwich? You know, I hate fish sandwiches. Really? To be, to be honest with you. I, I never have had a fish sandwich. I know. What? I'm serious. I've never had a fish sandwich. How do you sandwich. know you don't like them? I just don't think I like them. Okay. <laughs> I'm but, suspect. But, well, also, too, like, if I'm going to McDonald's, if I'm going to Arby's, if I'm going to Wendy's, why, under any circumstance, would I order a fish sandwich? Maybe it's a Friday during Lent? That's the only time I ever order a fish sandwich. Well, I don't, I don't, I'm not Catholic. That's not your that. thing. I don't do, I, I, so being, being a non-Catholic, I don't have to adhere to You that. don't have to slum it with uh, fish filet. Yes, exactly. But, you know, I like fish. I just don't like fish sandwiches necessarily. I, I'd be much more happy to have a cheeseburger. Fair enough. Or a roast beef sandwich from Arby's. Well, answer the question. Um, well, I'm kind of ignorant on this because I, I, I don't have, I've never had a chicken sandwich, but I'm going to go ahead and say McDonald's probably has the best one, if I was to guess. Now, coming from somebody who does participate and has had probably more than, you know, one or two fish sandwiches in their days. I eat fish, I make fish sandwiches at home sometimes. Oh, is that a not, fact? Not so much recently, but I used to buy some fish fillets, some okay. of the, uh, fish, little fried fish from the, uh. From the grocery store, heat that up in the oven and toss it on a on a bun. Uh, fish fillet from McDonald's is really it's my, kind of the gold standard. Yeah, that's. I mean, people might quibble with this, and somebody might say, "Oh man, the uh, that fish sandwich from Jack in the Box is one you really got to try." <laughs> <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't really explored too much, but uh, in my estimation, yeah, it's 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 Rondon's. Okay, huh? How about that? How about that? Well, uh, anything to add on the uh, fish fillet front? Not for me, man. All right. Not, well, that... not 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 a not an item on the menu I'll ever be choosing. Well, that wraps up uh, Ask the Icon. Anything uh, to leave our listeners with? Well, folks, we as we mentioned earlier in in this uh, kind of closing segment here. Um, well, well, Dilu was reading some of these questions. I was also doing some tabulating and. In adding numbers because you know I love numbers. I'm a huge numbers guy. We've talked about this it's several your times for it. But as of now, the three seniors, Kamal Stokes, Barry Brown, Dean Wade, have totaled a combined four thousand four hundred and nineteen points. When you add in Xavier Sneed, who is also in a thousand point score, K State is one of the few teams in college basketball that has four 1,000-point scores out there in their starting lineup. Something to think of uh, come March. And uh, if K-State is going to uh, make a run 
into the in into deep into the NCAA tournament and, and trying to get back to the Elite Eight and get on to the Final Four, you gotta look at that experience as as a major reason for why that could happen. D Lou, anything you'd like to add? Anything you'd like to tell the listeners? Yeah, just that I love them. Uh, it's important to remind them that. Yeah. Love you guys. Um, yeah, that's it. That's it. And, uh, I, and also, I love you got more the basketball to say. team. You have more to say. Yeah, I like I. I love the whole basketball team, especially the three seniors and the bell cow. And I don't want to leave out Snead. And one guy that we we're talking about people that need to have production over this next month or so, in case they wants to make a run. Don't forget about Mr. Jada. No, absolutely who, not. Who uh, and and Mike McGurl. Those guys both have. Got some chops playing in March, right? Uh, from and, last year, and but Jada's going to be starting to get healthy here, and we might see him. Uh, we might see him on Saturday. There was some speculation about that. I I would say that's probably unlikely, but uh, something to keep an eye out on. Maybe not. Maybe if not on Saturday, then maybe maybe look come the tournament, tournament time. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, that will conclude uh, this episode of the Short Side Option Podcast. Folks, hope to see you out at the Octagon of Doom. The what? On Sa- the, excuse me. The Octagon of Doom on Saturday to send the senior class off uh, the right way. And also uh, to cheer on the Cats as, as they look uh, to, to take home a Big 12 title and uh, really make this season uh, one for the record book. So that will conclude this episode of the Short Side Option. Thank you for listening. And go Cats. Go Cats.